everyone. Welcome to the Horror Geek Podcast from HorrorGeekLife.com. I'm your host, Melissa, and with me on the show again is Matt from the Pink Buzz Podcast. How are you doing, Matt? I'm great. Thank you for having me on once again. This is always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for coming back on. And last night, Pink Buzz had a really fun episode with an awesome comic creator. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yes, uh, we were fortunate enough to have comic book writer John Lees on our show. And I'm such a huge fan of his. Our whole team is. He's just one of the best horror writers for comics right now. He writes titles like Sink, Hotel. He has a book called Crimson Cage that's coming out in December. And then Emily Was Gone is another one of his titles. If you are into horror comics whatsoever, buy everything with John Lee's name on it. You will not be disappointed. My first John Lee's title was Sink 10. And you were actually the one that sent that to me. Yes. You're the one that introduced me to the world of John Lee's, and I am a better person for it. So I'm a huge fan. It was a great show. Um, Everyone had a lot of fun, and that is now up on YouTube under graphic vandalism and then Pink Buzz. So on the show today, our main topic is going to be PG-13 horror films. And I think it's a fun thing to talk about for a couple of reasons. People think that a horror film that isn't R-rated just isn't worth watching. And that is absolutely not true. So we have several examples today of what makes that untrue, and I'm excited to talk about it. But then the other thing is right now it's October, and it's a time where a lot of people like us who grew up on horror films, they are wanting to show their kids horror films. And I think that some of these titles are really great for that. It's kind of a a good introduction into horror without having to worry about nudity and things like that. So... We'll dive into that here in a minute. Before we do, let's get into some news that we covered over the last week. The big news over the last week is that Jamie Clayton has been cast as Pinhead in the Hellraiser reboot. Being that Jamie Clayton is a woman, she is a trans woman, um, but being that she is a woman, a lot of people are upset because, of course, in the films, Pinhead is played by Doug Bradley. Well, the good ones. (laughs) He's played by Doug Bradley. (laughs) And so even though the story that this is based off of, Pinhead isn't a male, people are really upset about this. And our Facebook comments have been a mess. So Matt, you're a huge Clive Barker fan. What do you think about this change? I have no issue with it whatsoever. Like you mentioned, I I love Barker. Uh, I started out reading his novels before I ever saw any of the films associated with his name. The Damnation Game is probably in my top three novels of all time. The Hellbound Heart, which Hellraiser is based off of, like you mentioned, Pinhead, first off, isn't ever called Pinhead in the book. It is not a male character whatsoever. So I don't see what the big problem with this decision is. I support it 100%, and I'm really excited, especially with David Bruckner attached to it. Same. I am so glad that he's taken the helm on this. And David Bruckner, for anyone who isn't familiar, he is the director on The Night House and The Ritual. I love The Ritual, which is on Netflix. It was a really solid horror film. And he just also produced VHS 94. Mm-hmm. I'm all in for him. I'm all in for the casting. I have no issues with it. One of the funniest things that I keep seeing people mention is that, oh no, they're going to make Clive Barker woke. (laughs) 
You very much don't know who Clive Barker is if you think that's happening. Yes. If you think this is the moment that Clive Barker goes woke, then you really need to get educated in the world of Clive Barker. Yes. So speaking of Barker, this is actually the first time that he's returning back to the franchise. He regained the rights to the franchise, which he signed away during production of the first film. So Mm -hmm. he's back in this as a producer, and I'm very excited to have his name attached to it. I am as well. Another bit of news that we covered is that Mike Flanagan, who is fresh off of his Midnight Mass success, which I'm going to binge next week, and I'm very excited. I've heard great things about it. Um, But he is going to adapt Edgar Allan Poe's Fall of the House of Usher. And that is also going to come out on Netflix. It's based on the Poe story that was written in 1839. And it was previously adapted for film in 1960, which stars Vincent Price. And that was directed by Roger Corman with a story by Richard Matheson. He will be directing the first four episodes of the series. It's an eight-part series. And right now, the release date is TBA, but it's probably going to come in 2023 because he has another big project coming next year. So just guessing there. We'll see what happens. So also this week, we got the new trailer for Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, which is rebooting the film franchise. The director on this is Johannes Roberts, who also directed The Stranger's sequel and 47 Meters Down. I am a huge fan of shark horror films. I am as well. I was not a fan of 47 Meters Down. I thought it was it was okay. I'm also a sucker for just underwater horror, period. But um, it wasn't the greatest. It wasn't the worst, though. I can watch it and enjoy it. Hopefully, I enjoy this one a little bit more than 47 Meters Down. I've yet to see the Stranger's sequel, though, so I can't really judge it on that one. I wouldn't waste your time. (laughs) I was not a fan of that film at all. By far, the worst decisions ever made by characters in a film. So this will be really interesting, then, (laughs) to see. Yes. The film is adapted from the first and second Resident Evil games, and it takes place in 1998. So what did you think of the trailer? It looked very fan service, which can sometimes be a good thing and other times be a not so good thing. The trailer looked pretty good, so we'll see. I'm going to watch it. Yes, speaking of the fan service, one of our writers, Jeremy, he put out a list of five Easter eggs found in the trailer that tie back to the original Resident Evil and some of the other games. So if you want to check that out, we have that up on Horror Geek Life. And it's a really fun list. But um, yeah, fan service is definitely the theme for this trailer, no doubt. I thought it looked okay. It looked, um, you know, like a zombie movie that uses a lot of CG. (laughs) So yes. I will definitely watch it. I'm actually a huge fan of the Resident Evil series. Um, They are, I I don't like to use the term guilty pleasure, but if I had a guilty pleasure, it would be all of the sequels in that franchise. (laughs) I thought the first one was just fantastic. It amps me up every time I watch that. So I'm curious to see what they do with this, especially sticking more to the games than the original did. That's November 24th. So moving on, In Search of Darkness Part 3 is in the works. This is the final chapter in the In Search of Darkness saga. In Search of Darkness is a very comprehensive documentary about 80s horror films. They come in around four hours apiece. This one is offering another four hours, and it is currently up on Kickstarter. Now, before we move into our main topic, Matt, I have to ask, you are a fellow Bob's Burgers fan. 
<laughs> yes. The new season, season 12, started two weeks ago. We have two episodes down, and the Halloween episode is about to come out. So have you been checking out season 12? Yes, I have. And both of the episodes have been really solid. Uh, I'd expect nothing less. It's just one of the best shows I mean, 12 seasons in and it's still, I mean, even though they still kind of have the same gags once in a while and, you know, kind of the same character traits that they exploit, it is just so funny and it still feels so fresh even 12 seasons in. It does. And their Halloween episodes are always just top notch. Our podcast episode will be out right after it is released. So if you're listening to this and you want to catch that, it's up. I will be catching it on Hulu as soon as I can. So I'm really excited. But I just had to see what you thought about the season so far. I love it. And of course, that movie comes out next year, Memorial Day. And I cannot wait. I hope it's not like the Simpsons movie where I was just so let down. (laughs) (laughs) I am a huge Simpsons fan, and I was not impressed with that movie. So I'm hoping that the Bob's Burgers movie doesn't make those same mistakes. Likewise. Okay, so let's move into our main topic, which is PG-13 horror films. And these are some films that, again, prove that horror does not have to be R-rated. We don't have to get all of the boobs and the cussing and things like that to have a solid film and a solid story and even some scares. So first on our list is the only 80s film on our PG-13 list, which is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And before we even dive into this, I have to say it is really cool that at Spirit Halloween right now, they have a giant killer clown animatronic that I really want. I don't want to pay for it, but it is really awesome. So I just had to throw that out before we dive into this film. Uh, The film is directed by Steven Chiodo, and it is, of course, written by the Chiodo brothers, who make an awesome team. And Matt, so being that this is from 1988, do you remember the first time that you watched it? I do. Um, I was in North Carolina visiting my grandparents for the summer, as I tended to do when I was a younger child. And this had to have been... I'm guessing 92-ish or so, so I was still fairly young, and I remember just flipping through the channels and seeing these just ridiculously creepy clowns, so I was already a huge horror fan, even as a kid, so I paid attention and watched it, and just fell in love with the film immediately. I love the practical gags. Yes. The cotton candy and the guns that they use. I mean, just everything is so over the top. But as I saw it when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. it still scared me. And I think is a great introduction to horror for younger audiences. Because although it's scary, like it's so over the top cartoonish. It is. And I think the clowns are very menacing. That still holds up today. I also love that the Chiodo brothers did the effects for Critters, which is another one of my favorite films from around then. I would have to guess after what you just said that you're a big fan. Very much so. Also, uh, the Killer Clowns theme is done by an old punk band called the Dickies. And it is also just a highlight of this film for me. You know, I'm a fan of the Dickies, but I actually didn't know that until recently. So yeah, that's a fun little tidbit there. Yes. 
The next film on our list is a holiday horror classic already. I guess a holiday horror modern classic. And that is Krampus from 2015. You know, we're also huge fans of holiday horror. We've talked about it on a previous episode. So where does this one fall for you in your holiday horror film lineup? Like you said, it's already a classic for when you're going to pull out your Christmas horror films. This does for Christmas exactly what his previous film, Trick or Treat, does for Halloween. They're both must-watches for the season. And him being Michael Doherty, who is the director. I forgot to mention that, but yes. (laughs) He has two holiday horror films under his belt that are just both brilliant. And his naughty cut is coming out for the film, which is going to elevate this film that is PG-13 as is from the theatrical release to an R-rated. So if you enjoy the PG-13, maybe you can watch that with the family and then check out the naughty cut, you know, to see what they can do with R-rated. So I really enjoyed this film. I saw it in theater and was completely blown away. I laughed so hard, but the acting was also really solid. And there are some scary moments. There really are. One of the scariest moments for me that I can think of is when they are out in the snow. And, you know, it just feels so open because they're out in the street. They're in a neighborhood. They're in suburbia. It's not like they're in the middle of nowhere. Right. It just feels like the whole world is kind of empty, except for them. Of course, you know, we get to the end and, you know, see the snow globe. You don't know that yet. I love how alone it makes you feel in the middle of suburbia. Yes, it was very open, but very isolated at the same time. They did really well with that. Uh, As far as scary moments, I don't know if it's particularly scary per se, but the -the jack-in-the-box creature was just so well done. I loved the effects in this film. One of the many reasons why Practical will always outdo any of that CGI crap. Sorry, Resident Evil. (laughs) Return to (laughs) Okay, so I have to ask, at the end, there is some debate over what we are seeing at the end. So it gets to the end, and this family, they are restored. They kind of are giving this lesson over Christmas spirit, I guess, in this really horrific way. And as it pans out, we see that that was within a snow globe sitting on the shelf of Krampus. So do you think that they are living within the snow globe, or do you think that he just has a snow globe representative of the family to keep an eye on them? What do you think? I think that they're dead. I think they're all dead. The film shows what happens to them when they're in the real world, quote unquote. And then the snow globe is showing us that Krampus, I guess, has their souls, maybe. And now they get to loop that over and over and over. That's what I took from it. Me being a fan of happier endings, I choose to believe that he is just keeping an eye on them and that they are going to live happily ever after. I'm probably wrong, but I am going to go with that because it makes me happier. You're wrong. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So let's move on to the next film on our list, which is Drag Me to Hell by Sam Raimi. And speaking of unhappy endings, this one had an ending that you think is going to go one way and it goes in the total opposite way. So what did you think of this one? 
As far as uh, Sam Raimi, I was really hoping to get more from this film when it first dropped. As the years have gone on, I've come to appreciate the film more. It's not my favorite thing Sam Raimi's ever done by any means, but I enjoy the film. And the ending is definitely my favorite part. I really like this one. And for being a PG-13 film, the gross out gags are just off the charts. I was really surprised that they got away with so much they did. Not so much gore, but just gross. (laughs) Yes. Lots of liquids. Lots. Yes. (laughs) I like a good gypsy curse tale. I'm a big fan of Thinner even, the book and the movie. I'm a fan of both. Mm -hmm. And so I thought this was fun. I like the main actress a lot. I've seen her do other things. I have to be in the mood to revisit it because again of the grossness (laughs) part of it. (laughs) But I think that as far as PG-13 horror films go, you know, I think that this one kind of pushes that envelope a little bit. Agreed. The next film is one of my personal favorites, and that is 2017's 1408. This is, of course, based on a Stephen King short story from 1999, and it's from his book Everything's Eventual, which is actually my favorite Stephen King book. Yes, I love this book, and 1408 is an amazing novella and an amazing film with one of my favorite John Cusack performances. I love a hotel horror film. Uh, We actually just put out a list of really solid horror films that take place in a hotel and just probably one of my favorites. I think that overall it was a really good adaptation and probably one of the best Stephen King adaptations that we've seen because that doesn't always translate well in film. (laughs) Looking at you, Langoliers. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear Lord. Yes. Um, I think what makes it so scary is that he's in a hotel in the middle of New York City. I mean, there are people all over the streets. There are people all in the hotel lobby. It's not like he's isolated in like an abandoned hotel like The Shining. And yet he is alone. And that to me is terrifying. Just the thought of being around so many people and having no one able to help you. Cusack portrays the feeling of realizing more and more how isolated he's become just masterfully. The scariest moment for me is when he tries to go out on the ledge. I am ridiculously afraid of heights. I know if that was my only way out of a situation, I wouldn't be able to do it. The hotel setting and him being up so high definitely leads to that sense of isolation. Steven did an amazing job with that hotel article, by the way. You should all check that out. Yes, it's a great article. I love it. Talking about being on the ledge, you know, it's another time where he's out there and it's New York City. You know, if you've ever been to New York City, everybody walks, everybody's on the street, everyone's a pedestrian. He's up there on this ledge and there are people there who they can't see him, they can't hear him, and they don't realize he's on this ledge. And again, it just kind of makes you feel that much more isolated and alone and unable to get help from anybody. So yeah, super solid. And it's also really sad. Very. Man, (laughs) there are times where I have to just kind of skim through it um, when I'm watching the film because I just can't handle that emotional (laughs) aspect of it. But it's really good. So the last PG-13 film, but we have actually two bonuses after this. 
So the last PG-13 film that we are going to mention is Insidious from 2010. And that is directed by James Wan and written by Lee Whannell, who I'm a huge fan of Lee Whannell. And I'm actually a huge fan of this film. Holy crap. Like it scares me. There are so many moments that just freaking terrify me in this. Um, But before we get to that, I have to ask, and you have to answer honestly. I will. The demon face scene at the kitchen table as they are talking, did it make you jump? It did not. Oh, you're lying. I am not. I don't believe anyone who says that. (laughs) (laughs) I loved this film as far as when they were keeping the monster in the shadows and you didn't see it very well. But as soon as they showed what that thing looked like, I laughed because it just looked hokey. It took me completely out of the film. Oh my God, I jumped out of my seat. There were so many moments though that, oh my God, it really got to me. The first one was the baby monitor scene when she is downstairs and she hears something upstairs and I think I forgot to breathe. And then, of course, the tiny Tim moment in the house Mm -hmm. when she's outside taking the trash and there's a boy just running in her house. I have chills right now just thinking about that scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there are some legitimate scares in the film. No question. I was enjoying it so much until they revealed the monster that should have never shown it. And I would have loved this film so much more. Did you like the ending? I did. I mean, I know it was based more to set up the sequel than it was just to have a not happy ending. But if they would have never made a sequel, I would have been happy just knowing that, hey, this guy's still going to have to deal with it. Okay, so I mentioned that we have two bonus movies to talk about. And the reason that they are bonus is that these two films are not PG-13. They are actually PG. Mm Mm-hmm. If these movies were made today, they would be PG-13, and rightfully so. Yes. So the first one that we're going to mention is Jaws from 1975. Of course, that is Steven Spielberg. And, you know, the movie that made everyone scared to go into the water, even today. What was the scariest moment in this film for you, Matt? Oh, my God. The whole film? I grew up in South Florida, 10 minutes away from the beach. When I saw this film for the first time, it was just legitimately terrifying. This is my scariest film of all time. I'd have to say when the little Kentner boy gets eaten on the the raft, I remember thinking, oh my God, they're killing children, so no one is safe. I'd have to say that that's the scariest part for me of the film. The only PG film which will murder a child. (laughs) With just tons of gore. Yes, Exactly. The scariest moment for me, and I know this is pretty cliche because I think a lot of people say it, but it's that opening, man. Not only is that music just so effective, yes, but being naked in the ocean, (laughs) I mean, that just makes you feel so vulnerable whenever you watch. And that scene really sets up the entire movie, of course, but it was just terrifying to see her bob underwater and then she Mm -hmm. comes back and then bob again. And I mean, every time I've ever been in the ocean, which I love swimming in the ocean, that scene has gone on in my head. Jaws is really a film that 
I have come to appreciate more as I'm older than when I was a kid. And that's because there's a lot of storytelling within the film. Mm-hmm. It's something that as a kid, I'm just like, okay, get back to the shark. I want to see more. <laughs> and now as an adult, I mean, I could hear Quint talk for an hour straight. Yes. Now, the second film on our list, kind of how you said that it is your scariest film of all time, and I'm guessing one of your all-time favorites, if not your favorite. Oh, for sure. So for me, that would be 1982's Poltergeist, which is also PG, which is absurd, by the way. All right. And that is directed by Toby Hooper. But if you ask certain people, it was directed by Steven Spielberg. (laughs) There's a little bit of a debate there, but Toby Hooper is the one with the credit. It would definitely today be minimum PG-13. The moment that would really make it that is the face peeling scene in the bathroom. Yes. I mean, it's some of the best 80s gore. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite moment in this film? Whether it's scary or not. The classic scene where Carol Ann is next to the television and, you know, utters the classic line, they're here. I just love that scene. The setup for the film in the first half is just so scary to me. And one of my favorite moments is when the mom is in the kitchen, she looks over and, you know, all the chairs are back. So she pushes the chairs back in and then, you know, the chairs are stacked up. This is another one where they're in suburbia. They have a house right next door where they can literally change the neighbor's TV channel. So they're so close to people, but yet it's like they're all alone dealing with this inside of their house because who's going to believe them, right? Exactly. There are so many things that just work for it. This one was remade in 2015. That one was also a PG-13 film. What did you think about the remake? I wasn't a huge fan of the remake, to be honest. I remember a point, probably right in the middle of the film, where I swear I turned around and looked at the exit in the theater and thought I could just walk out right now. I'm not a remake hater. I actually enjoy a lot of horror remakes. I was excited to see what they did with this, even though I was a little apprehensive. It was really bad. (laughs) That is why the remake didn't make our PG-13 list, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, let me ask, other than Jaws and Poltergeist, which one on this list is your favorite to revisit? Killer Clowns from Outer Space, hands down. It's just so campy, and just the effects are amazing. I can just watch that film over and over. I think mine would have to be Insidious. And yes, I still get scared on the face that pops up. I know it's coming. I've seen it a million times, and I still jump, and I still don't believe anyone who says that they didn't. So, sorry. I still get scared every time I watch that movie, too, because I know the film's going to be ruined for me. (laughs) Okay, so that's it for this episode of the Horror Geek Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And please be sure to follow and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And connect with us on social media at Horror Geek Life. And I'm at Horror Geek Mel on Instagram. And again, Pink Buzz Podcast is on YouTube. And that is under the Graphic Vandalism page. So until next week. (laughs) 